Hi, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. When it comes to what food we should and shouldn't eat, the opinions are as different as night and day. At the forefront of this culinary conundrum is wheat. Decades of research shows it has heart-healthy benefits, helps balance blood sugar, and may even prevent cancer. Well, thanks to the popular anti-grain and gluten-free diets, we're now being told wheat is bad and it's the leading cause of disease. Why has wheat become such a modern-day health concern? Joining us today to answer that question is Dr. John Dooliard, author of Eat Wheat. Using traditional wisdom combined with modern science, today we discuss the benefits of grains and why you need to keep them as part of a healthy diet. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda, and sports medicine. He's the best-selling author of seven health books, a repeat guest on the Dr. Oz Show, and featured in USA Today, Huffington Post, Woman's World, just to name a few. He's the director of Life Spa Holistic Wellness Center in Boulder, Colorado, and for 30 years, he's helped over 100,000 patients reach their optimal health. Welcome, author of the number one international best-selling book, Eat Wheat, Dr. John Dooliard. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. You know, my grandmother told me when I was a kid to eat whole grains because they're healthy, and decades of research proved her right. Now we have these popular anti-grain and gluten-free diets, and the big question that me, my family, and the listeners want to know, was my grandma wrong? Well, absolutely not. I mean, you know, when you take a look at the science, and, and I think the science is really skewed these days by a $16 billion a year gluten-free industry, which is definitely changing the minds of a lot of the decisions we make at the grocery store. And those gluten-free foods are highly processed foods. And if you look at the science closely, you'll see that the processed nature of the foods we eat, particularly wheat and other hard-to-digest foods that are highly processed, that have actually caused a lot of digestive issues. And I would venture to say that I get it. People eat wheat, they feel bad, they bloat, they don't like how they feel, so they stop eating it. Why would you ever eat something that makes you feel bad? But just taking wheat out of the diet is just treating the symptom of a much bigger problem. And that's why I wrote Eat Wheat, to get people to realize that, that just sweeping this under the rug by taking wheat out of your diet is not solving the big problem. And there's a bigger problem you have to look at. So the wheat is the smoke and people aren't addressing the cause of the fire. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, when you look at wheat historically, you look at the history of wheat. I mean, first of all, they found gluten in the teeth of ancient humans three and a half million years ago. So we've been eating wheat a very, very long time. Africa was covered with grasslands, filled with wheat and barley, both of which have gluten in them. You know, so, so we've been eating this for a very long time. They could, they could gather enough wheat berries sitting in some tall grass on the fields of Africa in just a couple of hours to feed them for an entire day. It was a lot easier to do that than hunt. And three and a half million years ago, we didn't hunt. We, we didn't have those skills yet. So we have a lot of genetics to eat these hard to digest grains. And now what's really interesting Dr. Friedman, is that the new science is showing that these hard-to-digest grains, beans, nuts, seeds, grains, lectins, things that we're so paranoid about these days, are actually immune stimulators. 
some really interesting science show that when people eat wheat, they have four times less mercury in their blood than people who are gluten-free. In another study, people who ate wheat on a regular basis had significantly more good bacteria, less bad bacteria than people who are gluten-free. And in one other study, people who actually ate wheat on a regular basis had significantly more killer T-cells, a measure of immune strength, than people who were gluten-free, all of which suggesting that these harder-to-digest foods we've been eating for millions and millions of years are the immune triggers, the stimulation of gut immunity, which is so critically important for our health and staying on this planet, particularly with superbugs around the corner. And by processing our food, taking all the hard-to-digest stuff out of our diet, just because we don't feel good when we eat it, is not taking care of the real problem. In fact, it's setting us up for much bigger problems down the road. When we're taking the the things out of our diet that trigger our gut immunity, that could be a you know a major disaster in 10, 20 years. Just like taking cholesterol out of our diet in 1960 has become a major disaster today because those polyunsaturated fatty acids that they gave us in replacement for cholesterol turned out to lower cholesterol. And people thought, wow, this is the miracle thing. They put it in every loaf of bread. Now a loaf of bread can stay on the shelf for a month and not get hard. That never happened when I was a kid. Bakeries would bake bread every day because by the end of the day, it was hard. And the microbes on on your counter won't eat that bread. That's why it doesn't go bad. And when you put it in your mouth, the microbes in your body won't eat it. So where do all these polyunsaturated fatty acids go? They go to your liver. They congest your gallbladder. They make bile sludge, which is the which today the number one abdominal surgery in America today is gallbladder removal surgery. So we have a situation where people's digestion, the kingpin of digestion, is your bile flow. By the way, and if that's not functioning optimally for you, you're not going to break down fats and deliver fats to your nervous system, give you mood stability. So we have anxiety and depression issues. Type 2 diabetes, is, as you know, is a liver condition. Metformin is a drug that blocks the production of sugar in your liver. It's a liver issue, and that's caused by liver congestion, again, by a host of uh, an unimaginable amount of bad fats. And of course, the, the bile is also a buffer, a neutralizer for the stomach acid. And if you don't have really good bile flow and you eat a ham sandwich or someone's going to go, I need four ounces of bile to emulsify the acid. I'm going to need to break down the gluten. I'm going to need a certain amount of bile to get rid of the fat in the ham. And the liver, if it's congested because of all the bad processed foods we've been eating, can't pull that off. Your stomach says, don't worry about it. I'll hold on to all the acid. I'll keep it here. Wait till you guys turn the green light on. The green light never goes on. You end up with too much acid lingering. It's called gastroparesis. And next thing you know, you've got yourself about a heartburn and indigestion. And over time, what happens is your stomach just says, you know what? They don't make the bile like the old days. I'm going to have to dial down my production of acid. And there starts the problem. The inability for us to make the acid we need to break down these hard-to-digest foods, break down the anti-nutrients on a lot of these foods, the, the lectins and things like that, they go undigested into your intestinal tract. And they're too big. This is hard science that I've written about in Eat Wheat. They're too big to get into your blood. And where do they go? They get uptaken into the collecting ducts of your lymphatic system. And your lymph system is trying to do three things. One, deliver fats, triglyceride fats, to every cell of your body as baseline energy. If that can't get delivered, you're going to be chronically fatigued. Two, 
It carries your immune system. It carries your immune strength. And number three, it detoxifies you. It's the garbage can. All the big fats and all the big proteins that didn't get broken down upstream, they get taken into the collecting ducts of your lymph and they get detoxified. But if that system is overwhelmed, those lymphs are linked to skin-related lymphs and give you rashes and hives newly discovered brain lymphs that drain three pounds of chemicals and plaque out of your brain every year while you sleep at night. If they're congested because the gut lymphs are congested, you'll get brain fog and all these brain-related issues. So it's not, and I did a debate with David Perlmutter, the author of Grain Brain, and, and, and I told him it's, it's not the grain brain effect, it's a brain drain effect. We've lost, we've caused lymphatic congestion in our body, which is really interesting about that is that lymphatic system, the largest circulatory system in our body, was the number one system that was treated in traditional medicine like Ayurvedic medicine because it would make sense to make sure the drains are, deli- are, are, are open and you're getting rid of the waste better, make sure you're delivering the fast through baseline supportive energy, and make darn sure your immune system is functioning optimally. And that's what's broken down because of poor digestion. And our solution, take the wheat and the nuts and the grains and all the lectins out of the diet, and we have science to show that those lectins actually reverse colon cancers, yet we're, we find that I don't feel good when I eat them, so now I don't. And that's the scariest part of all, because like I said, what happened from cholesterol, we're digging out of that today, 20, 30 years later. What are we going to be digging out after a $16 billion a year gluten-free industry telling us what we should eat? Highly, more highly processed food. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that uh, friendly debate that you had with Dr. Perlmutter, which I enjoyed. You so eloquently shared with him the science showing how wheat lowers the risk of Alzheimer's and actually improve memory. Why has wheat gotten such a bad rap when it comes to brain health? <clears throat> well, I think, you know, from what I just discovered, you know, just discussed was, you know, that, that wheat in its whole form, right, in the whole grain wheat has a low glycemic index. And what David Plummer did, which I think is a, a very big leap, he said that wheat has a high glycemic index, and maybe highly processed wheat does, Wonder Bread does. But when you take whole grain and whole wheat, it actually has a very low glycemic index. So what he did was he said, well, just because wheat has a high glycemic index, it therefore acts like sugar. And we know that sugar causes an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. But whole grains lower the risk of Alzheimer's by 53% in the Mediterranean diet, which is two servings of whole grains per day, glutinous grains, and 56% in the mind diet, which is three servings of whole grains per day, which is, you know, crazy to see that, that, that the, the studies are actually showing just the opposite. But I do get it that when you have a broken digestive down digestive system, these hard-to-digest foods will be problematic. And taking them out of the diet for a period of time while you fix the problem, obviously that makes really good sense. And that's why there is such a debate on the scientific side. You have science that says wheat causes all these problems, but it's really because we've broken down the intestinal skin barrier and these proteins are not being broken down. And even more importantly, Dr. Friedman, is the, is the 400 billion pounds of toxic chemicals dumped in the American environment every year. 200 million of them are cancer-causing. There's mercury on every organic vegetable from the coal mine plumes that cannot be washed off your organic food. When you eat those foods, our ability to detoxify is directly linked to our ability to digest. So if we find our body slowly 
taking foods out of our diet because I'm allergic to this and allergic to that or don't feel good with that. And the foods we can't eat starts that list, gets longer and longer and longer. Our ability to detoxify is also becoming more compromised. And therefore, what happens in 10, 20 years when we just say, oh, I took that out of my diet, I didn't feel good eating it, and I changed my diet, which is a really smart thing to do. But the long-term effect of that is I'm not fixing the real problem, which is my ability to detoxify. And then I become burdened with a lot of environmental pollutants and pesticides and preserves that I can't get rid of, and they find their way into our brain chemistry, like mercury in our brain is now epidemic, iron particles in our brain is now epidemic. There's a lot of issues that really require us to have a very strong digestive slash detoxification system. And that, I think, is the piece that nobody talks about. Everybody says, right. just don't eat wheat. Wheat's bad. Wheat's a poison. Lectins are bad. Lectins are a poison. Golly, you know, we've been eating something for three and a half million years. I, I think we have the genetics to pull that off. And when you look at the science, there's enzymes specifically engineered for wheat in your mouth, esophagus, stomach, small and large intestine. There are even enzyme, enzymes for digesting wheat in the beginning of your lymphatic system. Just in case some rogue gluten molecules ended up getting in the lymph, you had some digestive support to break that down. But if you overwhelm it because you don't have the stomach acid you once did and you don't have the bioflow because of all the processed foods and the pesticides that we have on all of our inorganic foods kill the microbes that make the enzymes to help us digest not just wheat, but other harder-to-digest foods with anti-nutrients on them that we're now, I mean, we're being told by a lot of, you know, authors that those are all bad for you now. But, you know, the reality is in my practice, I, I still see patients, still, after all these years, I still see patients, I'm, what I'm treating today is so different than what I treated back in 1984 when I first got into my nutritional practice. You know, people used to have wheat and dairy issues, fine. Get them off of wheat and dairy, and they feel better. But they would come back in two, three, four, five months, and the problems would come back. You give them enzymes and probiotics, they feel better. And with three, four, five months, the problems are back. It became very clear to me that by taking wheat and dairy out of the diet or giving them a probiotic or a digestive enzyme, it was not solving the real problem. And that's when I started really digging in and went to India, studied the traditional system of medicine, and saw like, wow, they have a whole different way of understanding the body. Help the body do the job for itself versus using herbs, pills, or powders, or medicines to do the job for the body. And that's what I'm still about, and sort of screaming at the top of my lungs, trying to get people to listen, because I think that the, the downside of not fixing the real problem is pretty epic and pretty major and, and, and nobody's talking about it. Yeah. I know the big rationale I hear uh, from my patients, as I'm sure you do too, is why wheat is bad for us is because it's not the same wheat from the past. It's modern agriculture and hybridizations to blame. Share your opinions on that. Why people say, hey, if I can't go in the past, I'm staying away from it because it's the wheat that we have today that's bad. Well, they did a, a big study in Toronto. It was like over 100 different strains of ancient and modern wheats, and they found out that, the, that there really was no genetically differences between modern and ancient wheat. They also did studies with wheat when they first started hybridizing the wheat, and they wanted to make it easier to thresh way back 10, 15, 12,000 years ago when all the hybridization you know, began and started. We started cultivating wheat of our own. And what they actually selected the wheat for was a bigger grain. They wanted it easier to see because wheat berries are very small. They wanted it bigger. And when they actually wanted to be bigger, they actually selected for something that actually had more, they actually selected wheat 
that actually had more gluten in it and and more sugar. So the bigger the wheat berry, the the more sugar it had. So and well, I'm sorry, what they actually selected for was a bigger berry which had more sugar and less gluten in it. So what the original selection of the wheat that happened actually had less gluten than the gluten we've been eating for all these years. So when they say hybridization changed it, everything made it worse, they actually made it with more sugar and less gluten. So they hybridized to be less glutinous than the grain we've been eating for millions of years prior to that. And you have to also realize that there's an enzyme in our body called amylase. Amylase is an enzyme that helps us digest wheat. The deficiency in amylase, the enzyme is linked to Baker's asthma, which is an allergy to wheat. And as a result of that enzyme, we now know that that enzyme about 2 million years ago, nobody's really sure on when this happened, we genetically acquired a gene to make that enzyme somewhere around 2 million years ago. Makes you ask the question, why do we have an enzyme for wheat if we weren't eating it ever before until 12,000 years ago? And when it was hybridized, it was hybridized to have less gluten, so it became more le- easier to digest, had more sugar in it, which is really the big problem than, than anything else here. Um, but what's really also interesting is that the enzyme amylase is very circadian. It increases in your body and mine when wheat was originally harvested, which is in the fall, when all the grains and all the starches are harvested, which are in the fall. So we have a, a circadian um, kind of piece to this puzzle as well. Grains are harvested in the fall. We start to increase more amylase in our body in the fall than we do in the spring and the summer when the grains aren't available. So we should be eating seasonal food. And this is a very important piece of the puzzle. One of maybe the reasons why we have so much wheat intolerance is in 1980, it was it was subsidized by the government for pennies on the dollar. It was highly, really highly processed. We ate it three times a day for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And that's has nothing to do with how traditional humans ate it. They ate it in the fall when it was available, and they stored it through the winter. By spring, it was gone, and you went into a ketogenic diet because you had no food, and you were fasting and eating a very austere diet, and you reset fat burning after a long winter of storing all that sugar and and storing all that, that extra starch as fat and insulation to help you get through the winter. And we had enzymes for that that amped up at that time of the year. That circadian clock has been broken. And we don't we don't do that anymore. We've overeaten it, and we've lost our our connection to the circadian clock, which is now Nobel Prize winning science. And we have to look at that. And that's also what the traditional systems of medicine talked about: is hey, there's rhythms of nature that we have to stay with and live with and be in harmony with. And that's part of the ability to to go downstream with the current, not feel like life's a major struggle at the end of every day. And but when you're eating against the grain bad things happen. And this is now backed by really good science. A new Stanford study came out about uh, three months ago and found that the hunter-gatherer Hadza tribe gut bugs changed dramatically from winter, summer, to spring. And I wrote a book years ago called The Three-Season Diet. It was all about eating with the seasons. And and I read a study that blew my mind uh, along the way, which is when deer eat um, bark in the winter. They have certain bugs for digesting bark in the winter. Then they have a different diet in the summer, which is leaves in the summer, and they have different bugs for leaves in the summer. But if they were to give the bark to the deer in the summer when they had the wrong microbes, it could cause such a level of indigestion, it could kill the deer. And I was like, wait a minute, deer die when they eat out of season? And we have no sort of clue what's in season. Everything's processed. It can be eaten any time of the year. We have no connection to those rhythms at all. 
So I took my preseason diet book and I broke it up into monthly packets. So we have recipes for every month of the year, superfoods for every month of the year, and grocery lists for every month of the year we put out for free. It's called the Three Season Diet Challenge. We have over 50,000 people get it every month for free. So you can get people re-educated to know how to get the bugs from the soil that are here in the spring in your gut and change the microbial guard from winter to summer to spring because that's what we've been doing for millions of years. That's what allows us to digest harder to to digest foods. And without the right microbes in the gut at the right season, we are going to continue to have more problems with indigestion. And the way our system works, we just sweep it under the rug, give you highly processed, easier to digest stuff, and and we don't seem to have a, a lot of interest in really digging in and treating the problem. And that's what I really think we need to do. Yeah. So glad you brought up that uh, the seasons because I was fascinated by that because, you know, I believe the human body is miraculous and something science really will never fully figure out. And you kind of just looked at this common sense and say, hey, the body kind of takes care of itself. The one thing that I, that I noticed when I researched uh, wheat and gluten for my book, Food Sanity, I was blown away by all the unbiased scientific proof on the health benefits, which is, like you said, been swept under the carpet. And in your book, you list over 600 studies. I'm curious, have you followed the money to figure out why this science is being suppressed and not making headlines. It must just, like you said, you want to shout from the mountaintop, folks, it's here. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, two, two studies that came out after my book came out, which I was like, wow, I wish I would have just postponed that just a little bit. They were both Harvard studies, both of them 30 years, both of them over 100,000 or more, probably was like 130,000 people. So very, very big, long studies. One of those studies showed that people who eat the most wheat have significantly less heart disease. And the other study showed that people who eat the most wheat compared to people who are gluten-free have significantly less diabetes. And that's the big thing. Wheat causes diabetes. Bread causes blood sugar spikes. Yeah, if you eat highly processed bread three times a day out of season in, you know, in an inorganic way, yeah, it probably will cause some real problems and will create a whole stable of bugs that are really good at you know, that are really good at digesting highly processed starchy foods. So you're going to get more sugar in your blood really, really quickly. But the way it worked in nature was that didn't happen. Those starches were there in the fall to get you to store a little extra, you know, sugar and store it as fat, as insulation. The fruits were doing the same thing. All the anti-fruit sciences that's out there, fruits just doing its thing. It's harvested in the fall. It's got a lot of fructose. Fructose converts to fat. It insulates you, supports you for the winter months. And then comes spring, which we're in now. You got to go austere. You have to start eating a low-fat sort of Jenny Craig diet in the spring and a high-carbohydrate fruit and vegetable diet, kind of Dean Ornish, Pritikin-type diet in the summer. And you got to eat a high-protein, higher-fat, insulating diet in the winter when those foods are harvested. And that's the nature of the diet is it's not, there is no one size fits all diet. In nature, it goes from high protein and high fat in the winter to low fat in the spring to high carb in the summer. And those are the three best selling diets we argue over, but they all exist in nature for four months of the year. So if we would just change and shift our diet and have the grocery stores sort of support that, we would be, you know, much better off because we'd be helping if they're organic changing we're getting the bugs from the soil in our gut and changing that microbial guard and that is you know that's the future of medicine it's the future of medicine absolutely according to most experts is circadian medicine and circadian medicine means this the, the the daily routine the lifestyle routine and the seasonal routine which is all about 
what you're eating and when. And now we know when you eat it during the day, how you eat your food, all these things make a difference. And this is the old the old school stuff, right? Everybody would sit down, relax and eat, take grace, take time. Nobody would eat in front of the TV or in the car in the old days. Now it's commonplace. And now we're beginning to see science saying, God, when you sit down and you relax and take time to eat your food, that that, that allows your parasympathetic nervous system to turn on. Well, guess what your parasympathetic nervous system does? It activates your digestion. If you're being chased by a bear and the fight-or-flight nervous system is turned on, digestion is turned off, and you're saving your life. But if you're eating on the run, going, 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 going all the time, the fight-or-flight system is always turned on, which literally turns off your parasympathetic system. So literally, when you're eating on the run in your car, driving, driving, going fast, inhaling your food, you literally have a nervous system that's predominant that's telling you, don't digest, which is sort of like so incredibly simple. It's like, you know, obviously, right, that's textbook information. This is not new news. But when you apply that, you realize, wow, maybe I really should take time and relax and eat my food. And eating food in the middle of the day. Studies have shown that when you eat food in the middle of the day, which is what everybody did hundreds of years ago, everybody had to bring me go to Europe. The shops are only really people on the streets in Europe or Americans looking for something to do because all the shops are closed and everybody in the restaurants are full because the whole... Everybody shuts down in the middle of the day to have their big meal in the middle of the day. They still do that there. And studies show that foods like vegetables amp up their nutritional value in the middle of the day versus the morning or night. So even the foods, the vegetables from the, from the earth are actually, you know, amping up their ability to deliver nutrition to us when we should, when our digestive strength is in fact stronger and there's now good science to suggest that, yep, our digestion is stronger in the middle of the day when the furnace is, you know, right. cooking and there's a lot more heat on, on the planet. That's when our digestive strength is the strongest. It's just really beautiful under, an understanding. And it's just going back 50 years in America. We all did that. And trying to get some of those things that really did make sense that were passed down for thousands of years back into our lifestyle and, you know, <laughs> getting rid of the processed foods, just, you know, going back to demanding whole food again. Right. Yeah, in the minute we have left, I definitely want to, do, uh, to address food intolerance. It's such at an all-time high, and I know things people had no problem eating 10 years ago now creates health issues. You address this in your book. What's going on, and is there a way to treat this, the source of the problem? Yeah, I mean, the source of the food intolerance is your lymphatic system. Your lymphatic system is your immune system. Your immune system is stuck in traffic because of undigested food clogging up the lymphatic works. Your immune system gets stuck, and it's like your fire trucks can't get to the fire on Main Street. So everybody starts doing a bucket brigade histamine reaction. That's an allergic reaction because the immune system can't get there because your lymph system is clogged. When your lymph system is clogged, you get tired, lethargic. Your skin will itch. You'll get rashes. You get hives. Your rings will swell. Your feet will swell. Your joints will ache. Your allergies will kick in. Your sinuses will congest. Your brain will fog. You'll get headaches, sinus problems. Your breasts will swell prior to your menstruation issue, menstrual cycle. Your belly will bloat. These are all classic, very common signs of, that people have before they get really sick. These are the lymphatic bells that are ringing that nobody treats. So cheating your lymphatic system, which is your one number one detox system, and your liver and gallbladder function, which is your number two detox liver system, is very important. And on my website, I've got hundreds of articles about how to naturally with herbs and foods to help get your liver and to function better, clean out your liver and your bile, clean out your bile ducts, and actually get your lymphatic system to get cleaned out as well. And that'll bring these foods back into the system with no problem, correct? 
yeah, once you reach that digestive strength and do it, and that's what I do in Eat Weed. I give you a troubleshooting guide so you can go step-by-step through your entire digestive system, run a fine-tooth comb through it and figure out what part of the digestion is broken down and how to fix it with whole foods and herbs and get better and not become dependent on another pill or a powder to fix it to help kind of sweep the problem under the rug, but to really get your digestive strength back so you can do the digesting yourself. Fantastic. I'll tell you what, it's been great breaking bread with you today, Doc. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, a big fan of your work. We're very like-minded, and I do appreciate you being here and look forward to having you on again soon. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That's great. To learn more about Dr. Dooliard and to get your copy of Eat Wheat, go to eatweetbook.com. And to learn more about Dr. Dooliard, uh, you can go to lifespa.com and be sure to check out his articles. As he mentioned, he's got a whole plethora of information. He's got podcasts, a video library loaded with healthy information you need to learn. Also, sign up for his newsletter so you can stay up to date with all the latest info to achieving your optimal health. You can follow him on Twitter at John Dooliard and on Facebook. He's at Dr. Dooliard. For my daily health tweets and Facebook posts, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman. If you heard something today that you would love to share with somebody and they just didn't hear it, you can send them a link to this podcast available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com. Peruse our podcast library and share segments of interest with friends, family, and coworkers. And on social media, this information is too important to keep to yourself, so share, share, share. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.